I'm Hannah. I'm the pastor here, and I'm so, so glad that each and every one of you is here. However God has brought you here, I am grateful for it. Um, Normally, during this testimony time, we have someone share uh, from their life where God is or isn't moving, how things are, and their heart, and their soul, and all of them. Um, But we've been thinking that for this discernment sermon series, one of the things we've been talking about a lot is listening to your inner voice, right, to the inner you. And so we've been trying to do lots of things to do that. We have had our fast together that some of you have been participating in. We're about to have a discernment feast next Sunday um, that all of you are welcome to at our South Loop community table as we eat with those who don't have food and those who do to make community. We have been having a daily devotional on discernment, and we have heard you loud and clear. Hundreds of people are on that, and you guys want more email devotionals. We did not know it would be so popular. We're working on it. Um, yes, we have, we, have heard, we have heard your voice. Yes, I know, I know. Yeah. Must read, must read. But the most important thing about discernment is listening to the way that the Holy Spirit speaks through you, okay? Because something that I think we've really about the way that Christianity has developed um, in the last century or so is that it has lots of beautiful things and has lots of hard things. And one of the hard things about a black and white, there's always a right choice culture, is that we never get to practice discerning things. We never get to practice being people who make our own decisions, who wiggle our way forward in the world, who figure out what's best. So we're going to practice today, and today's testimony time is going to be a time to listen to your own inner voice. We could go full Quaker, and I can make you sit here silently for the next 20 minutes, and at some point, that might be our worship service, but I thought I would not take you from zero to 60. We're going to do an in-between today. Um, So a little guided meditation that I found, which is one of the recommended ways to try and make a decision. So first, got to think of a decision that is coming up for you, a decision, right? Should I stay or should I go at my job? Um, Do I keep dating or do I abandon the apps forever because they make me feel bad, (laughs) right? Do I um, reach out to that family member with whom I have this incredible tension and it's always so hard? Do I try to make it work or do I say this is hurting us, right? Or some of the smaller decisions of everyday life. When tomorrow I run into my neighbor who always irritates me, do I find the resources to say hello and try and see them in a new way or do I allow there to be silence and quiet between us? Whatever the decision is that's before you, think of a decision. Think of a decision that is facing you. And if you can't think of a decision in your personal life, I will offer to you Urban Village's decision. We are a church. We're trying to figure out how to be in the world. There are opportunities coming up for us in the next year to change and grow in new ways, maybe to plant, maybe to shift, maybe, you know. Make the decision, what should UVC do next? What are we being called to do next? And think of a decision, and then close your eyes. Listen to my voice. Okay. Now, most decisions don't have just one or two ways of going. They have a thousand. But for now, think of your top two. Two things you could do. Two ways you could decide and hold your right hand and your left hand tight. (coughs) Hold one decision in your right hand and one decision in your left. Now take your right hand and open it up. Open it up, and as you open it up, imagine 
if you were to go that way, if you were to decide, what would happen? If you were to live that decision, what would it look like? What would it feel like? What would you lose? What would you gain? What makes you worried about that life that you're living? What makes you excited? With God on your shoulder, consider. What is that life and in your imagination, live it? Okay, now softly drop that right hand to your side, put it away, forget that path, forget that decision. Take your left hand, open it up, and start to imagine yourself there. If you lived that decision, if you lived that way of being, what would it look like? What would it feel like? What would you gain? What would you lose? What excites you? What worries you? What is here as you live that decision in your imagination with God on your shoulder? Live it out. Drop that left hand to your side and shake it out. And you can open your eyes. Different people take different things from that exercise. Some of you may have had a light bulb go off, right? One decision is all of a sudden greatly preferable to the other. Uh, some of you may have had a hard time imagining. Part of what's hard about making the choice is that you don't know what will happen next, and that's what makes you nervous. <laughs> For some of you, you may have found that what's hard is that both of them feel equally good and equally bad. This is actually what distinguishes a hard decision from an easy decision, is not that it's about something important, but that all the ways you could go are almost the same. <laughs> That's what makes a hard decision, when it's not totally clear which one will be better for you or better for the world or better for your family and friends. You could go a couple ways, they're mostly the same amount, happy and sad, and you just have to pick one. <laughs> but I hope that as you pick, you use the resources we've been trying to encourage ourselves to call on, our imagination, our, the Holy Spirit, and trust in both God and ourselves that whatever path we go on, whatever decision we make, there's not a decision we can make where our whole selves and God's whole self don't go with us. Don't go with us. And so in any decision, good things can come. Amen? All right. And maybe share with a friend after if you're wanting to talk it out, right? I really have to make this choice. 
I invite forward our scripture reader to come forward and share with us. Thank you, Tito. I like I can hear my footsteps coming up here. It feels powerful. Um, good morning, y'all. How are you? Um, today I will be reading scripture from Acts 8, uh, 26 through verse 40. Um, the word is so cool that you can follow it in many different ways. If you have a cool Bible app, do that. If you like reading screens, we have that. If you love paper, we have Bibles in the front. So all up to you. Uh, choose your own adventure. Um, today, we have Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and seat beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both him and Philip went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and he was passing through the region. He proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Kisera. The word of God for the people of God. This isn't our main focus today, but I love how casually <laughs> Philip disappeared from one place and woke up in another, and he just went with it. Um, if you are the praying kind, I would ask you to please pray with me. God of grace, God of mercy, God of power and might, God who is in our bodies and our minds and our souls and our steps, we ask that we would feel your presence this day and all days. That as we move into this chaos that life is, our movements would be ordered by you would be of your love and your hope and your joy, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts, and especially mine in these next moments, um, would be of you and true to you. And that if they are not, we would notice and find a way to turn around and do it differently. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to travel with me somewhere one more time. And that place is uh, eighth grade English class, because I'm about to read you The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost, which many of you probably had to read in school. <clears throat> Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both 
and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other, just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay. In leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet, knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood and I. I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Why am I reading you eighth grade English poetry? Um, because that is probably the most widely misquoted and misinterpreted poem <laughs> in the world, right? Um, and we misquote it and we misinterpret it in a particularly, um, in a way that is particularly of this cultural moment and of the place where we live, which is that a whole poem about the fact that two ways are actually indistinguishable to the poet, there is nothing that offers him good advice for taking one over the other. There is no way to tell the difference. Where he makes fun of himself, knowing that one day he will claim that only one could ever have been, and he chose it for a reason, because he's a brave iconist, right? A pioneer who takes the way that other people don't. The whole poem is about how untrue that is, how false that is, how much of an imagination really what happens, how he looks at both and can't tell the difference, and yet every single time we quote this poem, we just quote the last two lines as if the whole poem is about how awesome he is for going down paths and forests that other people don't go on. And I think that's important because I think that's what we're doing all of the time whenever we talk about decision making. And it's uh, hurting us, and I can see it in every coffee that I have with every member who's part of this church. Um, we think of, sometimes, some of you may be in a place of great health around this, in which case I congratulate you and I ask you to teach us, but many of us are in a place where we think of every decision as life or death and as a place of really distinct difference and as a decision that has a right answer, right? So first, we tell ourselves the lie that there are only two ways to handle any situation rather than millions. And then we tell ourselves the lie that of those two, only one is good, only one is right, only one is godly, only one is okay. And if we make the wrong choice, then we'll be stuck, always wishing, always wondering what it would have been like if we picked the other one. If the other town would have been better, if living in the suburbs would have been better than living in the city, if living in the city would have been better than the suburbs, if that other job we would have felt good, if that other relationship we would have felt like ourselves. Um, Fear of missing out is not just about fear of missing out on a party, right? It's, it's that we have a culture that says that every choice you make, be careful, or it might be a non-optimal one. And you should always be on the lookout for the better, perfecter, more ideal choice you could have made. And it's not working out, because that's not how most decisions work. Um, some decisions, there are clear, right, clear paths forward. One is clearly better, but most are kind of unclear. There's a bunch of different ways we could go, and a bunch of them would be fine. 
And the fact that we worry about trying to identify the very best one is keeping us from choosing at all. We're stuck at the front of the forest, <laughs> looking at a bunch of paths and trying to figure out which one has the most leaves, <laughs> which one is least taken, instead of doing what the poet actually does and just picking so that you can move on in your life and figure out what comes next. And trust that no matter which way you pick, some stuff will go wrong. And no matter which way you pick, some stuff will go right. And no matter which way you pick, you're still going to be you, God's still going to be God, and that means that there is opportunity for greatness. So that's what I'm going to encourage us to do today, is to think about, we've spent this whole month thinking about doing good decision making, right? How do you listen to your community? How do you listen to God? How do you, as we were encouraged last week by the first letter in John, look for love as a guide always to your challenging decisions? But if you've looked for love, if you've made your pro-con list, if you've asked friends and family, if you've asked your inner voice, and it's not clear to you, <laughs> if you don't have certainty, today is the day we say, just do it. <laughs> today is the day we say, go forward and go for it. Because you're going to be you and God's going to be God no matter which way you go. And it's only looking back on it that you're going to see a story of your life and a story of what was happening to you the whole time. So as we think about that, I want to think about that with a guy who at first seems to have that thing that all of us want so badly, which is concrete direction, right? Um, how much easier would your life be if at every fork along the way God was like, go there, <laughs> uh, Philip. So let's bring up that scripture and see what happens to Philip. At first it appears, right, that he's one of those guys that gets a direction and follows it. You could say that the story's over after the first two sentences, right? An angel of the Lord appears to Philip. Angels of the Lord are messengers. They carry important news. And the angel of the Lord says to Philip, get up and go towards uh, the, the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he does. He doesn't pull a Jonah. He doesn't try to run away, right? He doesn't try, he's, good job. Good job, Philip. You're on the way. You did it. Um, but it turns out, a bunch of other stuff happens, um, some of which is certain and some of which has direction and some of which doesn't. So let's follow Philip along his way. First is my favorite uh, parenthetical in the Bible, right, which is, this is a wilderness road. <laughs> um, parenthesized almost just to make you uh, look at it harder, you know? It's like, oh, foreshadowing. <laughs> this is not an easy way, but Philip decided to do it anyway, you know? Um, this is a wilderness road. And I think uh, when we really think about it, most roads in our life are wilderness roads. I have never been on a particularly smooth road of life. And if I thought I was on a smooth road of life, usually I found out by the end that I was wrong. So this is a wilderness road, like so many of the roads we walk. And he got up and went. So now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. Let's break that down a little bit about this unnamed Ethiopian eunuch. Um, He's such an interesting mix of things and of experiences. On the one hand, this is a guy of huge power, right? He works for a queen of a giant region. He's visiting a foreign country. He's in charge of the money. Usually the people who are in charge of the money, right, like are in charge of a lot of other stuff too. That's a powerful role. He's got skills. He can count stuff. He can do stuff. He's got his own coach, right, sitting high. Um, there are a lot of 
kinds of power and resources that this guy has. But there's also a challenge. I'm using he because the Bible does, but we, it's a little unclear how the Ethiopian eunuch would have identified. Eunuchs at the time were a sort of third or fourth gender category outside of man and woman as society saw them. Um, they were allowed to do certain kinds of things that were associated with women that men weren't allowed to do in a really structured and gendered society. They weren't allowed to do some of the things that men were. They weren't allowed to do some of the things that women were. Um, probably part of the reason why a queen, unusual in this time, would have wanted a eunuch to have such a powerful role next to her is that he wouldn't have been considered a candidate for challenging her power, right? He's safe um, because he's in this sort of other social category. And that makes him, in many ways, powerless in some of the spaces that he wants to be in. He lives a mix of wins and losses, just like most of us. And he has just experienced a particularly painful loss, a particularly painful loss. He had gone to the temple where he wanted to worship, where he wanted to see what was about and know God. And this is the one temple, right? He has made a journey. He is not in Ethiopia anymore. He has gone somewhere to go and see something big and experience something, and he's not allowed in. And he's not allowed in because of one line in Deuteronomy that says that no one who, um, the translation depends, but who does not have a full member, who is not intact, will be made a full member of the community, right? Because his body is considered by his peers to be malformed or disabled, right? The category is uh, a flexible one. Um, they won't let him into worship. They won't let him in to take his place in the place where he wanted to seek God. But that doesn't stop him. It doesn't stop him. Like many of us here, like many of those we know, he says, all right, fine. You want to let me in? I'll read it myself, <laughs> right? I'll figure it out on my own. I will make a new thing, and I will make a new way on this wilderness road. And he, they can stop him from going into the temple, but they can't stop him from reading Isaiah. So he's taking the scripture, and he's reading it through. What is in this scripture? Um, and he finds what many of us find, which is that it's not actually easy to read the Bible on your own. Uh, if you ever are reading the Bible and find yourself utterly confused, be uh, comforted by the Ethiopian eunuch who founded a church who's a person of incredible faith and could not understand it all on his own because it's confusing. Um, if anyone listened to five minutes of your favorite TV show or your favorite podcast or your favorite book, uh, but from 2,000 years in the future, they would have a rough time understanding it too, right? And so he's having a rough time understanding parts of it, and he's stuck in this coach. So first I want to say he's a discerner too. Philip isn't the only one with a life story in this story. Philip isn't the only one with hard decisions before him. The eunuch has to make a big decision when he decides, how will I handle this rejection? And then when he decides, how will I handle this weirdo who has come up to my coach? So let's follow the next part of the scripture. The spirit says to Philip, so Philip is still in a direction following place. He's not discerning on his own. He's doing whatever the spirit tells him. Go over to the chariot and join it. And I always sort of like to imagine myself as the different biblical characters as I'm reading a story, try and figure out some of the stuff we take for granted when we've heard it so many times, like what would this actually be like? And I would just like to point out, I'm sure Philip was a very nice guy, if somebody told me to join a chariot, I might say, knock. Or I might say, hello. Or I might say, hi, I'm Philip. <laughs> What's your name? 
Uh, instead, instead, Philip decides that what joining is to go up and say, do you understand what you're reading? <laughs> Which, I mean, imagine, you're like sitting on a bench, you're reading a book, and someone comes up and says, mm, do you actually get that? I'm just asking, just could tell. Um, it's really obnoxious. I mean, it's just truly obnoxious. And probably it's less obnoxious because it's spirit-led, right? He like somehow knows that the Athenian doesn't understand. But anybody else would be like, yeah, get out of my coach. <laughs> you are being mean to me, and I don't even know your name. But the Ethiopian eunuch is wiser than most of us in our decision-making, is wiser than most of us in our seeking of a path because he doesn't let one of the number one things that we let get in our way get in his way, which is that he doesn't mind other people knowing all the stuff he doesn't know yet and all the stuff he isn't sure of yet. And this is where I love him as a discerner because he's trying to figure something out, right? What's up with this God thing? What's up with this scripture thing? Who am I? What is the world? And a lot of us, when we're trying to figure out something big, no matter what it is, something that's important to us, whether or not it would be important to other people, it pains us to admit that we need help with that. It feels really vulnerable to admit that we need help with that, that we might not already have it figured out, or that if we ask somebody to help us figure out that they might be cruel to us that they might not see us, that they might not take us seriously, that they might not help. And so we don't invite help into our discernment when it arrives. But the Ethiopian eunuch is not ashamed. He's just himself. And so he's able to say to Philip, yeah, what's the deal? What's the deal with Isaiah? What does this say? I need help. How can I understand unless someone guides me, unless someone helps me? And so he reads the part of Isaiah that he's been having trouble with, Next slide, which is, now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. This is from uh, Isaiah. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb, silent before its shear, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And he asked Philip, who is this about? Uh, now that seems obvious because we're living in a Christian church after 2,000 Christian years, and we know that this is from the New Testament. And so, as a child once said to me uh, when I was doing a children's moment, um, and I said, who do you think that is? He said, I don't know, but we're in church, so it's probably Jesus. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I was like, good call, good call. Um, that's obvious to us, but it wouldn't have been obvious then, right? There's a lot of different competing ideas about who the Messiah is going to be, about what's going on here. There's a lot of different religions. He's not in a context. He's just with a guy. Um, and so Philip answers him. And Philip doesn't answer him out of his expertise on the scripture. Philip doesn't answer him out of his long tradition as a historian. Philip answers him by telling him, by proclaiming to him the story of what happened to Philip and Jesus. And this is my favorite moment of Philip's discernment, is not when the Holy Spirit is telling him what to do and he's brave enough to answer, but this is the first time when Philip has a choice to make where he's not told what to do. He's not given what the next step on the road is. It's not entirely and utterly clear to him what God wants for him. And so when the eunuch asks this question, and then when the eunuch asks another in a minute, he just responds with the first thing that is on his heart, which is his story. <laughs> Here's where I'm at. Here's how I know Jesus. Here's how I met him. Here's what's up. And then when 
when the unnamed one asks an even better question, which is not, can I be baptized, but what would prevent me from being baptized? I would commend this to you if you're ever in a situation where you think someone's going to try and stop you from doing something that you want to do. Is there any reason you can give me that would stop me from doing the thing I feel called to do? Um, Again, Philip isn't given a certain answer. He isn't given the right way. He's following his instincts. He's on a beautiful road. He's in a Holy Spirit wilderness place, and he goes with it, and he goes with love, right? There are other leaders of his time. There are other disciples who would have said, somebody asked to get baptized, you put them in three-month preparation. You make them move with us to Jerusalem. You make them start sharing their stuff, right? That's the right way to do it. And that could have been the right way to do it, right? He could have said that to this guy, and that could have been a beautiful path, too. He could have said, let's look at other books of the Bible first. That could have been a beautiful path, too. But the path that he goes with is the path of least resistance, the path of most ease, the path of instinct, the path of let's just do it. Let's just do something. And it ends with this gentleman newly baptized who returns to his home to start one of the most ancient churches in the world, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church and the Church South India are as old, older than the Roman Catholic Church, and they are the inheritors, they are the ancestors of our tradition. And Philip disappears, and then goes and tells the story again and again and again. Like Philip, and like the Ethiopian eunuch, you might not have certainty in everything that is before you. The way might not be laid out. The Holy Spirit might not do you the gift of telling you exactly this, then exactly that, exactly then. But what you do have is the same gift that was given to them that has been given to everyone, that is the gift of the book of Acts, but also the gift of God in every place that God has ever been, which is the Holy Spirit. (laughs) That you have love inside of you, and you have an inner voice to trust And you have a God who makes ways out of no ways. So if you make a choice that later you understand was wrong and you end up on a wilderness road, or if you make a choice that later you're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, and things seem to have gone wrong or you seem to have harmed someone or you seem to have harmed yourself, the Holy Spirit has not left you. It is with you and it is just waiting to be acted upon. In those moments where you have a difficult decision or in those moments where you have a decision that simply is made difficult by the fact that there is no difference that you can tell besides the ways you would go, the important thing is to not just wait in Jerusalem, to not just wait by the side of the river, to not just wait until you find the perfect thing, but to move forward because in the end what life is is moving forward with a God who loves you and made you and will accompany you even on the wrong turns and the wrong choices. So just do it. (laughs) And remember as you do, Philip's willingness to share his story, the Ethiopian eunuch's willingness to be vulnerable, and both of their willingness to enter into the mystery of the waters of God who accompanies us no matter what choice we make next. Amen? Amen. Amen.